Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. That's an incredible team. All right. I don't want to break until we've gotten into God's word just a little bit. Please bear with me a little bit uh, longer. I think that there is a word both for parents and students. And so please, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this is all yours. Lord, I pray you should just slow down the pace of our minds and our hearts to hear your word. Holy Spirit, plant seeds into the fertile soil of our lives. Lord, I pray that you will challenge us, convict us, encourage us. Lord, I pray that because of your word tonight, there is going to be unity in homes. There's going to be unity in your body of Christ, in churches and around the world. Every way, in Jesus' name, amen. So I was driving to a Florida youth pastors conference one time, and it was me and a handful of youth pastors, and that's always a crazy experience, which means like all the, uh, thank you, Jim. <laughs> Anytime there's a group of youth pastors, that's where you put all the psychopaths into one van, you know, and we're pulling over at a rest stop, and I see this lady out, and she's changing her tire. And so immediately, like, obviously, so me and a couple of guys run over there, and we can, we can change a tire like a pit crew. And as, I'm, as we're putting the tire back on, the, you know, the donut, I look in and her teenage son is sitting in the passenger seat playing on his phone the whole time mom was sweating outside. And I was like, hello. <laughs> and so I, I, hopefully I had a, the kind of tone that the Holy Spirit would be proud of. But I was like, dude, who is she to you? And he was like, uh, my mom. And I was like, well, I would hope that in the future you would be able to come out and help your mom with this. In the future, you would, you know, be a man. So I've noticed something both in my own home and just observing that we live in a culture that often creates division and separation. Think about this. How often is that mom's working one place in the house, dad's working someplace else in the house, one other person is playing video games in this room, and the other person is studying in that room, and everybody's just doing their own thing, right? And there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but we live in the constant flow of everybody doing their own thing, and there's not a lot of cohesiveness and unity. Like, what kind of culture are you building in your house? And that's the question I want to pose just over and over again, just in the next few minutes. What kind of culture are you building in your house? There's a tendency just in our humanity towards an individualism. And it's easy because individualism takes less sacrifice, it expects a lot less accountability, and it's self-centered. Philippians 2.4 says, don't look to your own interests, but look into the interests of each other. Let's start looking down the hallway and seeing who else is in the house that we can go and serve with. Let's start looking out the window and saying, how can I be a part of that? Let's find a new culture. Let's start developing and and being intentional about a Holy Spirit unity where we are. 1 Corinthians 1.10, here's our verse for tonight. Paul is talking, and he's talking passionately. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there are no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same 
judgment. Now he's talking to the church. How much more is he talking to our families? The microcosms of the church. How much more should that be true of us in our homes that we are united with the same judgment, with the same thoughts, with the same purposes? How much more in our families? Now, I, I get it. There's We all have different jobs and different times and places and everything, and maybe it's some sort of idealistic dream, but may we be the kind of people that start looking for intentionality in the small things to start doing things together? What if... Making dinner tonight was not just one person's job. What if we started getting together on this thing and doing dinner and set up and tear down and clean up became a family affair? I know, it's so idealistic, right? Was it some sort of like leave it to beaver? Like what if? What if whenever there was a a project that needed to be done outside, this became a family event? What, What if? What if instead of some sort of pipe dream, we just started looking for small ways to be intentional at home? Small ways that... We start working together as a family at home. The definition of culture. The customs, beliefs, and common experiences uniting a group of individuals. The customs, the beliefs, and common experiences that unite a group of individuals. God's been at work in humanity building a kingdom of love for his people. A selfless love that respects and supports each other. It's not just for society development. It's supposed to be a powerhouse team that draws people to Jesus. John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus has all this kinds of unity language. And he says, you know, like, Father, in the same way that I'm in you and you in me and we're one, Lord, let them be one in you and let them be one with each other. How much more should that be true at home in our families? Nowhere else but in church can you find as diverse a group of people in one place, facing the same direction, singing the same songs, with the same purpose. Where else? What other country club, what other social group has the diversity of every race and class under heaven, but in the kingdom of heaven? And the idea of doing things together. I had so much fun just this past weekend. I had every problem under the sun. I had to change a tire, and it didn't have one, two. It had four nails in my tire at the same time. That's a new record for me, by the way. Yes. And I took my four-year-old, and he had the best time working a socket wrench. He had the best time learning how to spell plug, tire plug. He, had, it was, he just loved getting dirt on his hands, and he loved helping me put the tire back on. And I taught him how to use a pressure gauge. Think of all of the different levels of things that were happening there. Yeah, he's learning how to work with his hands and get a little dirty. But he's also bonding to me. He's also recognizing that when there was a task, it took more than one. What is this developing in my son towards being a part of a church? In serving Jesus? In being a part of a family? What is that developing? It's so small and so easy. It's just one little intentional thing. You know what? It probably could have been done faster if I didn't have him. But what kind of investment? Just an hour made with a four-year-old. I want to like contrast the idea of being individual consumers at home. Thanks, Mom, for making the dinner, dinner so I could play video games for two hours. Thanks, honey, for cutting the lawn so the HOA doesn't charge us $50. But like, what if instead of everybody just doing their own thing, we started having 
seeing our family unit as a united purpose. How much more should these things be true at home? Because God's desire is to build a healthy, loving, Christ-centered culture in our house. Isn't that beautiful? It begins with having common priorities. As in, students, you guys have the same priorities as your parents, and your parents have the same priorities as you. What are some common priorities that we should have? I think the top of the priorities should be contributing to that, to that family unit. Think about this. We as a family pursue Christ together. The family that prays together. Oh man, what if that was actually true? What if we actually believed that the Holy Spirit worked in prayer? What if we believed that the Word of God actually tied us together and molded us into a culture of loving Christ-centered people in our homes? What if another one of our first priorities was just a growth in love and support? Maybe... Maybe mom's now cooking because the kid has to do his homework, and so she's supporting his grades. See, there's like a different mindset there. Instead of it being individualistic, it's now I'm supporting a purpose. And now I'll be happy to watch the kid, Dad, so that you can run and give so-and-so a ride to such-and-such a place because we're working together as a family unit. We're supporting each other in that love, in that encouragement. It's also meeting the practical needs. Students, what if you flipped your idea of chores from being a burden to, I'm contributing to my family. I'm contributing to our home, to our culture of serving and of love and Christ-centered relationship. Then the secondary things become supporting in education and our goals and our interests and supporting each other. Because we love each other. Of course we want to help each other pursue interests. But those first priorities have got to be Christ together. They've got to be working together. Like, parents, how often have your students seen you reading your Bible? How often? How many times have they wandered in and, and you had to look up and be like, oh yeah, hey, you know what I just read today? There's a short guy who climbed a tree. So I want to, just a couple more minutes, please bear with me. If you will allow me, and again, this is not my wisdom. My oldest is four. I don't don't have teenagers yet. But this wisdom is not gathered for me. I talk to a lot of parents that have kids grown up and out to gather this stuff together. And this is also the Word of God. So please bear with me. Here are some of the responsibilities of parents. Here are some of the responsibilities of students. And here are some of the responsibilities that we all bear. Thank you for allowing me to, to speak into your lives. And no one's run for the doors yet. I appreciate that. I love you guys. Thank you for bearing with me. All right, the responsibilities of the parents. Hebrews 13.7 says, remember your leaders and imitate their faith. Parents, in your house, you're the leader. And you're supposed to have a faith that someone else can imitate, that your students can imitate. And so your number one responsibility is being led by the Lord. Like, if you're not being led by the Lord, how can you lead a family towards the Lord? Please see Christ. Get in his word. Let him lead you. So that priority number two, or responsibility number two, you can now lead your family. 1 Timothy 3.5. He's talking to the leaders of the church, and he says, if you can't be a good leader in your family, you have no business leading in church. God has a high emphasis on your leadership in your family. 2 Timothy 4.2 says that we are called to, as leaders and leaders in your home, to encourage, to correct, and to rebuke, and to be ready at all times for teaching. In what kind of patience? Continual patience. That's responsibility number two. So hear from the Lord. Like serve the Lord, and then lead. Lead the family. 
Number three, man, Proverbs 22, 6, you've heard this, train up a child on the way they shall go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. And so responsibility number three is that you are discipling your children. It's not the youth pastor's job. I'm not just trying to abdicate responsibility. Like, it is a parent's job to disciple your children, to teach them what does it mean to love? What is When, when culture is throwing these things at them, what does the Bible say about that? To disciple them. And then the youth leaders here, and, and, and we're just supplements to what you're doing. We're coming alongside you and partnering with you. And the fourth responsibility is to train your children in practical wisdom. You can pump all the information into them, but if they don't know how to use it, you're giving them tools. Thank you, parents, for giving them tools. Giving them common sense and understanding how to take on life. It was so cool to be at college, and I was like the only guy on my hall who knew how to do laundry. I'm like teaching guys how to do laundry. Give them practical wisdom. Responsibilities of students. All right, guys, listen up. Are you ready? Ephesians 6, 1-3, through 3, and Paul is quoting Exodus, and he says, Honor your parents, honor your mother, and honor your father. And with this comes the blessing of long life. That's cool. Your responsibility, whether your parents are godly or not, whether you like the decisions they make or not, your responsibility is to honor them and obey them. No punches pulled. I'm not going to curb that at all. Your responsibility is to obey your parents. Responsibility number one. Responsibility number two, Paul is challenging the believers in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, and Hebrews 5, 13 through 14, and he says, come on, guys, you're not supposed to be on milk anymore. You're supposed to be on meat. Life group. And the difference that I learned by Tony Evans in our life group was that the difference between consuming milk and consuming meat in God's Word is the difference between information and application. Students, you are called to be growing in your relationship with Jesus. And you got to move past information to application. Whether your parents serve Jesus or not, you have to be pursuing Jesus for yourself. And third, students, you are called to mature into someone who is led by the Lord, who will lead others, who will disciple. That's your calling, students. You're supposed to right now be laying the foundational stones and the bricks of your relationship to be able to disciple someone else in knowing Jesus. That's a high calling, to serve your parents, to grow towards the Lord, and to learn to disciple. Responsibilities of both, to grow in a relationship with Jesus. I think I covered that. And the second one is to love, respect, and support each other. Like parents and students, we got to talk to each other with respect. We have to talk to each other in the kind of love we want reciprocated to us. Hmm. We have to support each other. It's so difficult sometimes to get into somebody else's world. But if we're just busy saying, well, that's just not me, then we're missing out on, on what we can learn and grow from the other person. So we need to get into each other's worlds in support as well. This is kind of a footnote, but I'd like it to be the third thing of responsibility of, us, of both halves. So parents and students, please remember that we are not perfect. Students, your parents are going to blow it. Parents, the same. Parents, when you make a mistake, apologize. What if you are training them in humility and repentance with your lifestyle and your example? Because if all they've ever seen is pride, that's all you're going to get from them whenever they make a mistake. 
So please apologize. Teach that humility. Students, your parents are going to make mistakes. They're probably going to make more mistakes than you're happy about. But you know what? Get over yourself. Your parents are you're learning and growing. There's no manual here. But your parents are trying and they're working day after day after day to make sure that you have a place and you're taken care of. Students, when you make a mistake, confess and apologize. It's worth it. It's worth recreating that bond instead of creating separation because one lie is going to lead to another one and it's going to move you further away and the next lie is going to move you further away and that unity in your house is dissolving one lie at a time or one time that you won't confess, one time that you won't surrender, you're just creating disunity. It's worth it to run back and say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Help me make this right. Parents, your students are going to make mistakes. Please remember to deal with them being calm, cool, and collected so that you can open the doors for them to talk with you and to open up. And Pat had great wisdom. She said, be calm, cool, and collected, and then later, after that's over, go in a room by yourself and cry your eyes out. Get it out. But then go back and love them. That's good. That's good. Talk through things together. Pray through things together. Give guidance, disciple, and love. You know, it's a lot harder to love someone. Parents, students, this is true. It's a lot harder to love someone whenever they've made a mistake against you or broken your trust than it is to love someone through just a family tragedy. It's a lot harder to love someone when they broke trust, but that's where you're building culture in your house. That's where you're building love. That's where you're building forgiveness. That's where you're building a repentance and a restoration of relationship over and over and over again. That's where you're building tools for the road, for the long haul of family unity. That's where you're building Christ-centered love in your house. Is the fact that you're willing to forgive even when you're the one who's hurt. That's where culture is built. And the purpose of all of these things, the responsibilities of all, all of us, is to build healthy, loving, Christ-centered culture. I want to close with this. This is a reading out of the book that I give our graduating seniors. It's called Love Does by Bob Goff, and it's full of just great stories. This is a great story out of chapter 10. And this is right after uh, September 11th. And it's a father, and he comes home to his young family. And I think they're like 7, 8, and 11 or something like the young younger kids. And it's the conversation that he has with them. And this is such a great example of building culture in your home, looking for little opportunities. It's impossible to, to be totally, you know, everybody together on every single thing, but looking for the little opportunities to build unity. Get this. After talking for a while, I asked the kids this. If you had five minutes in front of a group of world leaders, what would you ask them to help make sense of life, faith, hope, and the events that are unfolding around them? I admit, it was dorky. It was a dorky dad thing to do. And I had each of them write down what they would ask on a piece of paper. Adam, who was seven at the time, loved having people over to the house. I wasn't surprised when Adam said that he would ask the world leaders if they wanted to come over to our house. Even when you're seven, there's nothing like having someone over to play with or get to know better. Maybe Adam thought having leaders over to the house would facilitate better understanding between each of these leaders, and they would become better friends. I told Adam that his idea was a great one, and he wrote it down on a piece of paper. Richard was next. He said he would ask each of the world leaders what they were hoping for. The idea was that if the world leaders knew what they were all hoping for, then perhaps they could start hoping for the same things. His reasoning was that 
no problem, that the problem was that no one knew what each other were quietly hoping for. Richard's idea sounded super as well, so we wrote it down. Lindsay was the last to go, and she had listened to her brother's ideas. As the oldest, she was the precocious one and had written her idea already, and I read it aloud. If the leaders couldn't come over to our house for a visit, then what if she and her brothers went to their houses to ask them what they were hoping for? Even better, she had written all three kids should do a video interview with the leaders so they could share with all the others. That way, each of these leaders would know what the others were hoping for and maybe find that they were hoping for the same things. I was amazed at what fantastic imaginations these kids had. They didn't even consider that what they were asking for was absurd or naive or that they needed to be famous or powerful to ask their questions. Perhaps what the leaders would prefer was a few innocent kids asking innocent questions. I had the, the kids put their ideas together in one letter. Then we downloaded the names of every president, prime minister, and dictator of every country in the world from the CIA website. We felt like we were hacking into NORAD, so it was cool. The information was all there. We just needed to figure out the addresses. The kids decided they didn't want to just write a couple of the leaders. They wanted to write all of them. Heck, why not, forgive, why not give them an equal shot at meeting these great kids, I thought. I won't read it, but I want you to know what happened. They also got the key to their house copied 200 times and sent a key to their house to every world leader on that list. And they promised the kids that if any of the leaders actually sent them an invite, they would go. Those kids have been all over the world because they actually got invites from prime ministers, presidents, and world leaders. They've also had those same leaders or different leaders come visit their house with their very own key. Now, you know what? You might not be a lawyer that can afford traveling overseas to meet a prime minister. But it's amazing how a simple family gathering, asking some real honest questions, can do something impressive. Can build a family unity. They'll carry that for the rest of their lives. Remember that one time whenever we sent keys all over the world to our house? What were they building? They were building a culture in their home of layers that I couldn't even begin to describe or express. So my challenge tonight is build a loving, Christ-centered culture of unity in your home through small, intentional moments. Heavenly Father, we surrender this night to you. Thank you, Lord, for being at the center of so many families. And Lord, I pray for all those families that don't know you. I pray for all the single-parent homes. I pray for all the kids that feel such a disconnect. And I pray for the parents that feel a disconnect from their own children. Holy Spirit, be with them. Begin to chisel away the walls. Begin to break down the chains. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lord, let a unity that only your Spirit can create begin to fill mouths and hands and families. Let mothers and fathers begin to lead towards you. Let students begin to submit to your leadership through their parents. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for all these leaders that love students so much that they're willing to sacrifice their time, talents, and treasures week after week after week. Thank you for the late-night phone calls. Thank you for the tear sessions. Thank you for the jokes and the smash burritos. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Lord, I pray... I pray that your kingdom is built one united family at a time. 
And I pray for the students that are hearing these words, that they cherish them into their own families as they become leaders and parents. That what they are receiving from your word does never go to waste. Lord, but it's propagated over and over and over again as parents disciple children who become parents who disciple children. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Elevate. Thank you for sticking around. Love you guys. Love your parents. Have a great night.